0: the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Did any of you catch the Elmo phenomenon that happened last week? For those of you who don't know him, Elmo is a cute little red puppet from a show called Sesame Street. And Elmo has somehow figured out how to post online. Last week, he got on X, formerly known as Twitter, and asked, Elmo's just checking in how is everyone doing? Based on the flood of responses about exhaustion, sadness, rage, overwhelm, and existential dread, it was pretty clear that people are caring a lot, and they need community, or at least a cute furry red puppet to talk about it with. You might also be wondering, why am I talking about Elmo? But his recent fame as global therapist seemed fitting for this episode, which is all about what happens when you push grief aside and put it on hold and the freedom that can come when you stop doing that and you start to let it out with the support of family, friends, and community. For those of you who watch basketball, Channing Frye is a name you might be familiar with. Channing played in the NBA for 14 years in the early 2000s and 2010s. Sports can be a roller coaster, with high highs and really low lows. In the fall of 2016, Channing was on one of those highest of the highs, as his team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, had won the NBA championship back in June, and he spent the summer celebrating. Then the low came. Channing's mom, Karen, who had been dealing with cancer, died. And about a month later, his dad, Thomas, also died. Channing did what so many people do. He put his grief aside to deal with the business. He planned two funerals. He supported his family. He focused on logistics. And then, not long after that, he went back to work. Back to practice and games and all the pressure that comes with that. His grief went with him, but he didn't have the space to feel it or the words to express it. So as it does, it came out pretty sideways. Eventually, with the support of his wife and his friends and a therapist, he did start to talk about it. And in talking about it and making more space for it, he found ways to engage with his grief that worked better for him. In the end, these new ways of dealing with grief have helped him to be more present with himself and his family and the 8,000 other things he loves to do in this world, like giving back to his community and being the owner and co-founder of his wine label, Chosen Family Wines. Channing is a dad, a husband, a brother, a friend, a grieving son, and a kind, warm-hearted person. He's also super funny, and he's got a penchant for some salty language, so just so you know, you'll hear a few cuss words. Okay, here's my conversation with Channing. Channing, thank you for making time in the middle of what uh, I imagine is a very busy week for you to talk with me for Grief Out Loud.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. This is great. No, I always always got to make time for these kind of things. And uh, it gives me a break as my burrito comes from uh, DoorDash.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How do you want to introduce yourself today?
1: Uh, What do I feel like today? Uh, I'm just Channing. I'm Channing Fry. I guess I was... uh, Fourteen year NBA vet, you know. Now I'm full time dad. Uh, I'm a co host on a show on TNT, NBA TV, and then um, I've done a podcast for the last nine years uh, called Road Tripping, which is great. And then I own a wine company. So today I feel like I'm more of a wine company podcaster than I do uh, the TV basketball stuff. But today, yeah, I'll just say I'm Channing Fry, wine guy, dad, and uh, (laughs) and and podcaster.
0: Well and I imagine from your life as NBA player as wine guy as podcaster you're pretty comfortable or at least used to being on interviews talking about things like wine and basketball and I'm wondering how how are you feeling about being on a podcast all about grief Um
1: pretty much the same I think it is as a part of life it is it's a they're not like you know there's a lot of feelings but some of these things are factual right people are going to live people are going to die You know, I think for me that happened, man, seven, eight years ago now. So I've had some time to work through things. And I think the more I talk about it, the less there's a stigma about it. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy to get on here and and answer your questions.
0: Sounds like you're quite game for it, which is makes sense. Having been a basketball player for many years. Yeah. Uh, uh, What do you want to tell us about your parents, Thomas and Karen?
1: Man, um, they did a pretty good job of raising me. I think they uh they were always hustling. Um, some of the things that they did back then I didn't really understand that I understand now. You know, both my parents are from Brooklyn, New York. They both had really good jobs when they were younger. They had me, my mom was 25, so young, um, ish, young ish, right? You know, and then I just have myself and my brother. Um, We moved to Arizona due to a job. And then I remember in like 89, 90, I was six or seven. And that's when like my dad's entrepreneurial hustle, same with my mom started to kick in. But I just remember them being grinders and just like making things work that shouldn't work. And then I remember, you know, when it came to sports for me, especially there was, you know, they, they made sure that they didn't miss a lot of things and always wanted to make sure that it wasn't easy for me, but also I wasn't being taken advantage of or that people had my best interests at mind. Like they fought for that and I appreciate it. And, and I just remember them being fun and being funny um, and being big time, like family people, big time family people.
0: How did they respond when you first got drafted into the NBA?
1: Well, that was pretty crazy. Um. I would say it was a roller coaster. My dad was in, you know, he's he was very type A, meaning, you know, he didn't want things to just happen because of chance. And so there were certain things that he would do uh, during that process, whether that was just, you know, figuring out what agent I was going to sign with, coming on meetings with GMs and stuff like that. Um, really just wanted to make sure that, you know, his son was in the best position possible. Getting drafted to, to New York, in New York, when my family's from New York, I think I had 75 people there. Um, it was huge. I'm the fourth or fifth oldest. I think I had 50 cousins, 40 or 50 cousins. So it's a huge family. My mom was one of eight, and my dad was only one of two. I was always taught just don't worry about the end of the stairs. Worry about that next step. So all these things, all the workouts I was doing, all the, you know, I, I'm talking to my, my son's 13 now, and people are talking about parties. And I was like, I didn't go to one party in high school, like literally <laughs> not one. And I was just not that dude. And I just didn't remember that. And I remember like that sacrifice was worth it. And then in college, just really putting my head down and trying to first goal. I want to start second goal. I want to start all year. Third goal. I want to be all pack twin. You know, then I was like, Hey, I want to make the league. And before the draft, I was supposed to be a late second round pick. So, like 30 through 60. And then um, I had a really good NCAA tournament, um, did some really good workouts, and went from that to I got drafted eighth. So, that's a pretty big jump. And then when it actually happened, that was, uh, it was the best. It was the best. I freaked out internally.
0: <laughs> so, Channing, if we were to be at one of your games way back in the day, and your mom and your dad are there, as they were oftentimes, what kind of fans were they? What would we have seen them doing and saying?
1: My mom is 100% that fan, super proud mom, probably wearing my jersey, you know, just just a fan of just the game, right? She wanted, she felt like, even when I was in the league, everybody was still... Like, my college teammates, everybody was still her son, you know? My dad was a little bit more, and I get a lot of this, really intense and really like, well, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't they do that? And why did this happen? And I'm like, dad, there's 82 games in a season. (laughs) Like, it just, and these are grown men. I'm 22. He's 32. So he has X amount of hours more than me of understanding this and, um, You know they were just kind of living it up right they were just living it up and really enjoying um being able to come watch the lakers right sit courtside at the blazer games at new york games so um it was it was awesome
0: and then take us to the time when your parents died and it was just like a month apart
1: yeah yeah well that sucks
0: yeah Yeah, so take us back there like what do you remember about that time
1: Um, you know, I still work through therapy about that time. I shut down. Like I, I really, and this is honest truth. People can, I have, I don't have the best memory in the world, which makes me a good shooter. Right. So I forgot (laughs) what happened 10 minutes ago. I'm like a goldfish, but like, I remember plays from college or high school and, and things like that. So in 2016, that year, I was on Orlando Magic. We were the worst team in the league. Got asked for a trade. On the trade deadline, 1155, they said, Channing, you're either going to the Clippers or Cleveland. And then end up going to Cleveland. So I went from the worst team on the the league to the best team. We end up winning a championship in June. So February, March, or March, because it's February 22nd or 23rd, March, April, May, June. So I had four months with that team before winning a championship from the worst. So, bad team, great team, best championship ever. Uh, July, August, I'm at home. Obviously, you play basketball to be the best ever. Um, And to come down from 3-1, to come back from 3-1 was next level, never been done, getting parades in this city, partying in Vegas, you know, like being on top of the world. I remember, you know, my mom had battled with – she had, like, ovarian cancer, then stomach cancer, kind of spread – but it wasn't like I was like, oh, okay, she'll fix it. She'll work. She'll she'll get it. You know, my mom's tougher than that, and she had got rid of it. Had some surgeries. Got rid of it. And I remember I was at the World Series of baseball or a playoff. I was at a playoff game, and I got a text, and we as a team had gone. So we're in a huge suite, and we had all gone out. And I remember I was standing next to my guy Kevin Love. And some other teammates, and and my aunt sent me a picture of my mom, and she was like, "Channing, I need you to get on a plane." Like, it's taking a turn. I like fell to the ground. It was in the in the bathroom, kind of locked myself in the bathroom and was crying. Like, grown man, it, like to go from that to that. That was crazy. That was crazy to me. That was the beginning of like when I just didn't know how to comprehend all these feelings. I now look at this picture of my mom who looks like a skeleton, right? So I get on the next flight out from Cleveland to – she was in L.A. at the time – to L.A. I land. My cousin picks me up. I check into my room, and they're like, okay, we're going to go see your mom and just be ready. You know, she's holding on for you. So my brother now, I put him on a flight from Michigan to come. And so I landed, let's say, eleven. I see my mom at 12 with my cousin. My aunt is there. And my brother doesn't land till three. And I, and even to this day, it, it took me a long time to get over the sight of her. And I've been around death of other people. But never that feeling of like, she's battling just to breathe, right? Um, and laying in bed. And she doesn't have the strength to even talk. So I literally walk in, obviously bawling. And she just, you know, little skeleton lady just puts her arm out and I just grab it and cry. And then something happens where the tears stop and I literally tell her, I was like, mom, I'm here. I was like, you don't need to fight anymore. Like, I'm here. I love you. I'm proud of you. And I, you know, we had gotten arguments about certain things where our relationship wasn't the best at the time. And I told her, I was like, none of that matters. And it never really mattered to me. You know, I told her, I was like, that you can live you can live these last few seconds or minutes or hours or whatever long you have with no guilt. I was like, here's a video of your grandchildren. They will be okay. We know you're gonna take care of us and hit her with that, right? And was just talking to her for five or six minutes um, and just holding her hand and, you know, rubbing her head. Then they were like, okay, we're gonna give her a few minutes to just rest. And then I was like, okay, now it's 1.30, 1.45. So my brother's supposed to land at 2, 2.15. So I'm like, shit, I hope he gets here. So we go in the car. I'm talking to my cousin. And I'm just like, just, if I had a backpack, fucking bricks. Bricks on that back, like where your chest doesn't feel right. And um, I was more worried about my brother. I'm like, dude, he has to come say High or you know, bye or whatnot. And literally I was in a car and we're talking and my aunt knocks on the door and says, your mom passed. Like I walk out the house and go sit in the car, cry five minutes and pass. So I walk back in, mom's passed. And here's one thing that I think made me compartmentalize her death. And it wasn't Bad or wasn't good. It just, I don't know if it was right for me. So my mom dies, let's say at two o'clock. My brother's landing. He's now bawling his eyes out. He has to meet me, you know, wherever it is. I'm now in charge of removing the body, you know, closing off her credit cards, closing off her phone. I am now go from 1,000% emotional to all factual things. And that is something that people don't tell you because I'm the only one, I'm the next of kin and my dad is in Arizona and they had divorced. So I'm the one that she said had to do all this stuff. So I'm now like having to call this, having to call that person, having to call this person. So I'm putting my feelings to the side. Straight to business. Straight to business. It was, it was fucked to be honest, because I had to call my own dad which now looking back, I probably, and I, he had his own health issues, but I'm pretty sure when I called him and told him that my mom died, that was the day that he died because he wasn't the same after that at all. Like he had no no will to live or to change or to fight um, some of his own demons. And we'll talk about him. So you deal with that. Mom dies. She wanted to get buried in Brooklyn. I'm going through all the organization with that somebody, you know, my aunts are helping me. So two sides of the family, where does she want to get buried? What is this? What is it? You know, and I'm in the middle and I'm just like, I don't give a shit. How much does it cost? What do you need? And then obviously you have family members talking to me and I'm numb to the world. And they're like, well, we can't afford to fly out there. So I'm just like, whatever. All these different things are coming into play. Well, we can't afford a hotel and I want to see this and that. And It just wasn't fair, right? Now, on the fry side, which is my dad's side, I'm the oldest, right? So, obviously, I have a lot of responsibility. Obviously, I'm a millionaire. I played in the league a certain amount of money, a certain amount of years. But I feel like looking back, they tried to put me in a, a position of, like, making decisions or not. That made me compartmentalize it even more
0: seems like everybody came to you for something
1: and i'm just like guys i can't even dude i was like i can't even comprehend now what helped is after that funeral my aunt talked to me and was like hey you know let's figure out a way if this ever happens again how we can clean this up right because it's not fair to you that was too much so when the night after, so my mom got buried in Brooklyn, I flew my dad out, all my kids are there, and my dad is like, gone. I I feel like, you know, he had struggled with alcoholism and, you know, a little bit of mental health. uh, When my parents split up, he just didn't, you know, again, he wanted to control a lot of things. And when his world blew up, you know, him and I had some big time arguments where I was like set boundaries and he wasn't used to me setting boundaries for myself and my family and he took that as oh i messed up this relationship and i was like no like i want to start as you have to look at me as a man i'm not just your child anymore right i have my own family like when you come with me you're in my house and i want to treat you as obviously my dad but you also can't take advantage of the things that are here so anyways go through that when i saw him that night my wife and i were like we got to move him out of Arizona. Like he's not here. He's not. He's half and half. It was it was wild. Then during that month, I was talking to his family, talking to my aunts and uncles over there. I was going to move him to Greensboro, North Carolina, where his family, you know, where he could be around people. To you know, when somebody dies, you, you especially like your mother, your wife, your sister, brother. You lose steam for the world. You lose. You know, living is just putting a foot in front of another thing, right? You may trip, you may fall, you may slip, but you're putting another foot in front. My dad was taking a step, standing up, wanting to sit down. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like we're gonna keep moving you. So I'm pretty blank because I've obviously compartmentalized my mom and her death and I'm all business. But I rushed back to playing basketball at the top of that. So I'm not emotionally invested, which I can't be, in this basketball game. I'm just here so that something is in my mind. So Thanksgiving comes around. I'm actually at my best friend's house, who is my teammate, Richard Jefferson. Um, I put my phone on the side. We're getting ready to eat Thanksgiving dinner. I get a call. My wife gets a call from my uncle. And uh, my grandma found her son. They think he had a heart attack. Something was going on. They found him dead in his apartment. At that point, that's when I would say it, it got bad for me, for me, for, for a while. It got bad for me for a while.
0: What did that look like, Channing, for it to get bad?
1: dude. Um, dude, the drinking was crazy. And I'm a big dude. But I remember... I, that night, basically drank so I threw up because I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to do anything. Got on a plane, went to Phoenix, had to clean out his apartment, then saw how he was living. And everyone's like, well, you know, people are going to ask these questions like, oh, you have all this money. Why don't you help him and do this? If he was that, just imagine what I had provided and why we got to that point. So don't, I don't want anybody listening to this to think, oh, I just left my family out to dry. It was never that. But at the same point, I have my own family. And if you can't take care of $5, I'm going to trust you with $50 or $500, right? So that's where we're at. I had a chance to go see him. And my brother was there um, with my uncle and my cousin and and his mother, which I felt bad for, uh, my grandma. And I didn't even want to see him because I was like, I don't want this to be real. I don't want this to be real. And then I had to set up another funeral, right? This time I got a lot of help. This time I got a lot of help and it helped, but it really didn't. It really didn't. I don't know if there was a day that I wasn't, I mean, just, I wasn't even, I don't want to say conscious is not the right word. I wasn't, I was floating.
0: Not present in your life day to day.
1: Not even, not remotely present. The minute I woke up, I was like, and I didn't sleep that well anyways. I was like, and my family's trying to cheer me up, my kids, my wife, my friends. And I'd be driving to practice. I'd cry the whole way to practice, wipe my tears in the car, and then go into practice and just fake it to make it. I'm a, And you could tell I'm a very happy-go-lucky person and very optimistic. If I was shooting and I missed a couple shots, I'd kick a ball and all these things would start to happen. So finally, they're like, Channing, we want you to talk to uh, – therapist but at that point I didn't know it was anger where my grief was was big time anger you know uh, just I don't want to say like a child expecting the world to be fair and luscious and awesome all the time uh, cursing God you know like why me What what the F did I do not understanding basketball the thing that's a gift it was just like whatever whatever you know
0: hard to connect with the things that felt like big priorities before
1: there was nothing honestly i could have walked away and lived in a forest and if again i could have floated away and i did a little bit and everyone's trying to help me figure it out i was the only one that could figure it out myself and there are certain things that changed my life of course obviously since that but You know, that whole year, I just dealt with shit. Dealt with it, and I kind of put it to the side. Went to the NBA Finals that year. I can't really tell you. I don't remember that year, really, after that. I don't remember much games. I don't remember having any joy for going to the NBA Finals. I don't have any, you know, real relationships because I wasn't even present. So you're not talking to Channing. You're talking to a shell. So I had obviously tucked away those feelings. One thing I talked to my therapist about, um, and I know I'm being long-winded here, is um, your body reacts to certain dates even though you don't know why. So today, I forgot, is actually my mother's birthday. So my wife reminded me of it. And certain days I feel energetic, certain days I don't. But today, of a lot of days, and like my dad's birthday... Now, now, I feel a lot different, right? I feel that I could talk about these things. It's funny that we're doing this on this day, right? But on Father's Day, when I came home that next year, I wasn't even paying attention to anything. And they were like, hey, today's Father's Day. What do you want to do? And I'm like, you know, nothing, right? Sit around. And so, you know, my friends are like, hey, it's Father's Day. We we'll all have kids. You know, let's go. Um, and they're, you know, they're not being malicious and they're not you know they're just like hey let's just go grab a drink and get you out the house and listen to music and watch sports and i remember in my 40 years of living that was probably one of the drunkest times i've ever got and without consciously feeling something right
0: yeah and this was the first father's day since your dad died
1: first father's day And I had, I was like, okay, I'm fine. You know, like I'll be fine, right? I'll be, I'll be good. No, was not good. And then that's when the wife was like, you know, you got to see somebody and do this and do that. And I was like, no, I'm just fine. Okay. Like I'll be more conscious of these excerpts, these, you know, these blips. I would start to have these, if I drank like on Thanksgiving or even if it wasn't a lot, get crazy emotional. And my wife was like chanting, you got to do one of two things. You got to stop drinking or you got to take care of yourself so that you could be present and you love wine where this wine, wine should not be your excuse for getting rid of all these feelings that you have. You know, it came to this. My, I have four kids and I was on an airplane and I had talked to this lady and she was like, oh, randomly was like, oh, you know, I remember your parents. I went to Blazer games. I had seen them, blah, 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 blah. And I don't know why this random Tuesday or Wednesday that this, when I got in my car, no drinking, no nothing, just bawling, bawling. You know, I remember yelling in this car as I'm driving home, like a little baby, um, of like asking my parents why they quit. Why would you not want to live for your grandkids? Like, screw me. My grandkids don't get an opportunity to go to grandpa and grandma's house, uh, except on my wife's side, right? But I'm like, the joy that I get from that, I'm like, how do you not want to fight for all this? And it wasn't fair that I put that on them or myself. My wife saw me in the car. She was like, all right, that's enough. So, so, you know. She was like, dude, you got some deep-seated stuff you need to work through. So last three years, I've been seeing the same therapist once a week, every week, and I feel a trillion times better. She's a grief counselor, really just helping me understand certain dates, how to prepare for that. Um, one big thing is that my dad is buried in um Arizona for thank and in, in we go to Thanksgiving in Arizona every year. Because it's nice, it's hot, it's warm. First year, obviously, cried a little bit. And second year was great. It was great. Uh, third year. So, first year, I cried. Second year, nothing. Third year, it was great. We, uh, brothers stayed with me. It's like we're taking that power back of a place. Like, I love Arizona. Like, I love Phoenix. It's where I grew up. It will always be home to me. And, the fact that my dad is laying there, and the fact that I don't have any family there, but he, I have friends, it allows me to let go of some things, right? That have really helped me to be more present um, and to be a better dad and a better person.
0: I'm wondering. You mentioned like early on, your team was like, "You got, you got to go talk to somebody, Channing. You're kicking balls. You got to go to a therapist." Yeah. And you're like, "The only person who's going to get me to that place is me." And you are working with a therapist. Seems like it's been really helpful. I'm curious day to day, are there certain things that you do that help you stay in that spot of being connected and grounded?
1: Yeah. um, What I've noticed is I'm big when it comes to music and writing things down. I'm like, I'm an accomplishment guy. No matter how big, how small. Like today I woke up energized. Hey, I'm going to get A, B, C, and D done. I'm going to make these calls. I'm going to get This scheduled, I'm going to get my truck fixed. I'm going to meet with, you know, Nani, who works with me. I'm going to go to the bank and send this check there. You know, like, I'm going to do all these things. And each time I do those things, I go, okay, I'm here. I'm like, it seems stupid, but for me, it's really important. I'm also just in a space, like this little office, it's like an extra room we have above the garage. I've made it where there's wine maps here. There's my video games here. There's pictures of my parents right here. There's, you know, my little U of A sign here. So there are things here that make me feel happy and remind me of how far that I've come and what like what more do I want to accomplish? Is even if it's little, even if it's like, okay, there's a trash bag here. Let me take the trash bag out, right? It makes me be present. It makes me just here in life. Right, and then sometimes if life gets too crazy, I just have to lay down on a bed, and I get I've got some anxiety attacks. So I'm a busy guy, right? I have four four kids, a wife, my own life. I travel all the time. I got three different TV shows, a podcast, uh, a wine a small wine business, right? There's other things I'm involved in, and sometimes it gets to be a lot, and sometimes I'm just like screw it, and sometimes I just gotta. Put my headphones on and just listen to like the ocean or listen to a rainforest and just realize that like here is the most important place that I'm supposed to be and just kind of work on breath work like that.
0: In all of those things, and I, I'm sort of chuckling a bit because it sounds like something such an athlete would do, right? Like, yeah, what's yeah. my workout schedule for today? I got to mark off the things and all the things I'm going to get done. So it seems like your training as an athlete sort of is uh, providing a little bit of scaffold for like how these things you do day to day to stay connected.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been retired five years and the first six months of me being retired was not pretty. It was not pretty because I've never not had someone tell me what my schedule was. Right? Like, you know, it's hard for, you know, people in the army because everything is dictated for them. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you're going over here. For me, I've fallen in love with that routine based, but I've shrunk that down over the last five years to just tell me my calendar a month ahead of time so that I know that's good enough. Yeah. Having a checklist of things and seeing those little accomplishments is like, okay, we are getting things done. You're not inundated or, Excuse me, it doesn't look so daunting, right?
0: Are there ways too that you stay connected to your mom and your dad?
1: I got little trinkets all over the house. Like I have this picture that I've had since I was four years old. Always right here. There's one near my bed. And then we're moving, so obviously we're taking stuff down. But my wife was like, Hey, you know, I there are a bunch of pictures that just have been that came from my mom's house or my dad's apartment. Um, and they were like, we, I want to put these up in the next house because there's none up right now. And I was like, sure, fine. And then we take road trips a lot. And so my wife never, you know, we've known each other almost 20 years. And she was asking me about my history, right? And so I was like, yeah, you know, my grandpa was a Tuskegee Airman. My other grandpa was a Navy chef. And then my great uncle was uh, the first black, Shipmaster, all these things. And she's like, wait, what? So <laughs> she's like, why Why would you not tell? I was like, well, it's just what it is, right? It just, I never even thought about it. So what we've been doing is like teaching our kids, like both sides of the family, you know, getting them more involved at like what Tom and Karen, where they're from. I took my little girl, Margot to New York. I'm probably going to take her back hopefully this year. Maybe my son too. And just show them the city that, like, I grew up loving and that my parents are from. Show them where they grew up and all these type of things of, like, seeing the world from a different perspective. So, yeah, that's kind of where where we've been doing it.
0: Yeah. So your own personal connection, but really helping your kids have some sort of tether back to the grandparents. Correct.
1: Correct. And then, um, you know, my dad was the owls, right? He looked like an owl. He always had books. He was always reading, had weird glasses. And so what's funny is that this whole thing sits next to my desk. And it's little things like this. And then my other desk where my kids use, they mess up. There's a big owl. And just seeing things around uh, the house and around the world, it's like, you know what? Good to see you guys. You know, good to see you. Lights flicker. I go, hi, mom and dad. You know, and my <laughs> kids acknowledge that too, whether that is or not. We just said, hey, that's a reminder of people that have passed on. That's their way of just saying we're, we're checking on you. And so the kids are like, hey, tell tell your parents to leave us alone. We're trying to go to sleep, you know? (laughs) I'm like, you tell them. I'm not. They don't listen to me.
0: (laughs) I'm just curious with this idea that, like, about three years ago, you really started to delve into your grief with your therapist. And it's been maybe a little bit even more recent to be going so public with your grief, to be talking about it and having it be part of your sort of public persona. What's that been like?
1: It's been pretty awesome. Hopefully – People realize that like sometimes talking about it, I would say most of the time talking about it helps it not only be real, but you could talk through some of the feelings. If I'm in my head, I call it hamster wheeling. I'm not, when you say something out loud that maybe be in your, that, that maybe is in your head, it will sound maybe sometimes like you're crazy. It's like, I'm like, Oh, my parents gave up. Right. When I say that out loud, It's like, Channing, come on, be be realistic. Like, that's not true at all. But when I say it in my head, right, I'm like, it feels like that. But that's not what's reality. And I think for me, talking about it, I've got a great response. I think people who else have dealt with grief can understand that, like, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. There are certain days. There was a song, uh, Led Zeppelin, which is a wild song. And I'll tell you a story about that in a second. There's Led Zeppelin, it's like the rain song. And that is my song. So that's a song that is on a playlist. And I'll put that on repeat. And I could just sit and acknowledge that, like, I am upset or sad or mad that my parents are not here to help me be a father, to, you know, to be a part of the success that I've had in the NBA and as a new man. Or the things that the places I get to go see in this world, I would love to share um, with them. But, the, it, you know, it happened. And so I say, hey, just come with me. You are with me in spirit. And so, you know, I want to continue to want those things for myself, um, but also for them to, to see it through our eyes and to, and to watch their grandkids, you know, get raised by a good man.
0: Well, Channing, I'm sitting in uh, a lot of deep appreciation for you finding the words for your grief and feeling oh, like you're ready to share them with our with me, with our audience, with the world that gets the opportunity to listen to you. And you know, before we wrap up today, I wanted to just talk just briefly about your wine label, the thing yeah. that you are super passionate about now. And I was really struck by the name Chosen Family Wines and wondering is there a tie back to your grief in that name?
1: Huge. Huge. Um One thing that was never in my radar, there was always basketball. And plan B was making sure that plan A worked. And, you know, we talked a lot about drinking. We talked a lot about those things on this podcast. But the thing that makes me the happiest when it comes to wine is the connectivity of, like, put something in the middle of a table, usually... 99% 99% of the time, people are going to grab it. They're going to look at it. What is this? Why'd you bring it? What? Is, and somebody's going to say this, man, I either love this label. I went here. I'm a member here. I had the greatest time. This is some delicious juice I thought you would like. So that act of unselfishness, of just thinking about somebody else's palate or what they're eating or, hey, I want to share this wine with you as we cook together, right? That thing has become a huge part of who I am and, and who I was. The name chosen family comes from I have one brother and two cousins that I really talk to weekly, daily, you know, whatever it is. When I get an opportunity to be with my brothers and, and you know, my boys that I've known for 20 plus years, they're my family. Right. But the people that you get to choose to spend time with that hold you accountable, that lift you up, that, you know, Keep you, keep you, you know, keep you real or people that you trust with your family and your wife and your house and your car, they become your family almost sometimes more than blood. Um, So for me, when I was down for a while, everyone knows if they know me, I love going to a good dinner and having a nice glass of wine. So they'd be like, Channing, get out of your room. Do not stay in your room by yourself. Come on. We're going to go to this Thai food. We're going to go get pizza and, you know, we're just going to talk and laugh. And that literally, they didn't know that that started to heat the coals up for me for life. During that time, I was like, you know, I have my family. Is this basketball thing worth it? Is this worth my time? Do I even have anything left, right? And it, obviously, I retired in 2019, so three years later, but for different reasons. But it it had part of it because I was just like, this my fire for this, is not 100% anymore. And I'd be do I get hurt or I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to I don't want somebody to roll me off this court. I want to walk off this court, right? With good relationships, with good energy. And I love basketball and I love wine. And this is a new part of me that I don't know if my parents ever saw, but they would always see me because I've never seen a vineyard before before I moved to Oregon. When I came here and saw one vineyard, Every summer, I want to see all the vineyards. I want to meet all the winemakers and ask them a thousand questions and try all the barrels. And when you go wine tasting, as you know, you you talk 90% of the time. <laughs> you ask questions. And and as we see from the podcast, I could talk my ass off. <laughs> but the best thing about it is I get to listen. Uh, I get to listen to people. Why do you like it? Why do you want this? Look how beautiful it is. Does this remind you of something? You know? And sometimes. You sit in a rocking chair with a nice glass of Chardonnay and you just look and you just reflect. Um, so it allows me to be who I am going to become. And it's also a reflection of where I've come. Basketball will always be with me. It's always part of chanting. This wine part is new and exciting. Um, and, and I know that my parents would be proud.
0: And listeners, I know you can't see Channing right now, but he's sitting in front of a wall of basketball shoes. So he speaks the truth when he says basketball will always be part of him as
1: well. (laughs) Always.
0: Well, Channing, thank you again for this time. And I'm curious if listeners want to hear you talk some more or get connected to your wine label or just follow some of the things that you're doing. What's the best place for people to head?
1: Easy, social media. So uh, the other podcast that I do weekly is called Road Trippin'. We've been doing that about eight Seven, eight years, eight, nine years, maybe. And then uh, I'm on TV, uh, NBA TV, uh, every Friday. It's a show called Handles. It's fun. Social media-wise, Channing Fry and then Channing Fry for Instagram and Twitter. And then just Chosen Family Wines. Just follow us. I think, you know, for us, it's not the snooty brand that's saying we're better than everyone else. We just want you to enjoy your time with the people you love. That's it.
0: Well, Channing, thank you for making time so I could enjoy this conversation with you and uh, just really, yeah, grateful for you.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: And listeners out there, you know, I say it each and every time, but thank you for being part of the show, for making it mean something. You can reach out to me directly at griefoutloud at Dougie.org. It's dot org. That's also our main website where you can find all of our information about our local programming, our free downloadable resources and each and every episode of grief out loud i'm always excited to share that the podcast is sponsored in part by the chester stefan endowment fund thanks again for listening we hope you'll join us again next time